great way to begin our worship thinking about the glory and the power of our God. And today, of course, is Mother's Day, and so we want to take a moment to recognize our mothers. And there's all kind of things floating around on the Internet through email and stuff about mothers. But uh, I found this this week that, that really captured my attention. I don't believe I've seen it before, but it's Mother's Dictionary of Meanings. Um, a dumb waiter. One who asked if the kids would care to order dessert at a restaurant. Feedback. The inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. Full name. What you call your child when you're mad at him. A puddle. A small body of water that draws other small bodies wearing dry shoes into it. A show-off. Any child who is more talented than yours. I think that's my favorite. <laughs> the top bunk, where you should never put a child wearing Superman pajamas. <laughs> the two-minute warning, when the baby's face turns red and she begins to make those familiar grunting noises. <laughs> and for those who have experienced multiple children, sterilize. What you do to your first baby's pacifier by boiling it and to your last baby's pacifier by blowing it off and wiping it with your spit. <laughs> uh, motherhood's a fun vocation, isn't it? And we're so thankful for all of you who have served as mothers. Maybe it struck me we may have great, great, great grandparents and grandmothers in our church. We have uh, some ladies who still faithfully attend in their 90s, and we're so blessed by that. We have all the way down to brand new mothers, those who are even expecting children. And so we're so blessed in our church to have all of you who are mothers. And I'd like to recognize all of our mothers, mothers that are expecting, and our grandmothers. If you would please stand, we want to uh, thank you today on behalf of the congregation. Would you all stand? Expectant mothers, mothers, and grandmothers. Let's give these ladies a round of applause. We thank you, ladies, uh, for, for, on behalf of your children. We thank you for investing in us. We thank you for praying for us. We thank you for putting up with us, challenging us, disciplining us, caring for us, being there for us, but most of all, for loving us no matter what. We thank you for your services, mothers. And uh, there is a gift for all of, uh, actually for all of the ladies today. We should have enough for any of our women who would like the gift. They're going to be at all the exits this morning. And you can pick that up on your way out this morning. But I wanted to have a special word of prayer over our, our mothers this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and a prayer of blessing and dedication. Lord, we thank you today for our mothers and the investment that they've made in our lives. And Lord, the way that they face challenges with great hope and with great faith. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless them as they continue to live for you and serve you. And, Lord, we know that some in our congregation this morning have lost their mothers in the last year. And this is a, a sad occasion because they're remembering their mother and, and all the things that she meant to them. We pray, Lord, for your comforting grace in that time of loss. And, Lord, for others who are, are praying that you would give them the blessing of motherhood. We pray, Lord, for them. Lord, uh, we pray, God, your blessings to be upon them. We pray that you'll give them that opportunity very soon. We have seen many prayers answered in that direction over the years past, and we pray for that same prayer to be answered again for these faithful families who want that blessing. 
And Lord, for all of the ladies in the congregation who, who may have never been a mother, but they've been a mother in various ways to hundreds of children, maybe through Sunday school or just through uh, befriending another family in the congregation or in the community. And we pray your blessings for these ladies who've invested in lives. For we know that um, while we need our mothers and our grandmothers, it's always good to have that other voice that says the same things that our mothers are saying so we can hear it in a different way. We thank you for the blessings of these ladies as well, and we give you praise for all of these women who've invested in our lives. We pray your continued blessings on them. In Jesus' name, amen. We also want to come this morning, and we're uh, doing a makeup parent and child dedication. Uh, When we had our original parent and child dedication, uh, the staffers were unable to participate because Tim Stafford was in the hospital. Uh, Unfortunately, Tim is back in the hospital this weekend with some of the same problems, but uh, Tim and Karen told Courtney and and, uh, and Logan to go ahead with Kerrigan's baby dedication this morning. So I'm going to ask if uh, Logan and uh, Courtney would go on and come on up to the platform. There they are, trying to find them. All right. And uh, this is Kerrigan Estelle Stafford, and Kerrigan was born August 27th, and her parents are Logan and Courtney Stafford, and she has a handsome big brother, Jackson, and his grandparents, her grandparents are Tim and Karen Stafford and Daniel and Priscilla Thomas. Her great-grandparents are Freddie Cherry, Evelyn Stafford, and Mike and Virginia Odom. Kerrigan's name means dusky star. And we pray that Kerrigan will be like a star shining in the night sky, shining forth and reflecting the light of her Savior, Jesus Christ. I know it is Courtney and Logan's desire to uh, have the Shema of Deuteronomy 6 as a key feature in their home, that they would love and live for Christ with all that they have, and that they would talk about the things of God all day, every day, in the rhythm of their life. And they're already doing that with Jackson, and they were telling me they've been trying to do it with Kerrigan as well, though that's always a challenge. And so what we want to do is commit ourselves now to the great task And I've had plenty of time to talk with Courtney and Logan about their commitment. But congregation, do you, as a member of First Baptist Church Pineville, promise to join these parents in teaching and training their children that they may be led in due time to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord and to demonstrate their faith in baptism and church membership? If you accept this responsibility, will you indicate by standing as we pray for Kerrigan together? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you once again thanking you for the privilege of having children and being able to invest in them. Lord, we pray specifically for Kerrigan this morning that she may grow to be a woman who trusts you, who loves you with all her heart and lives her whole life for you. We pray, Lord, that she'll be one of these first children that becomes a first adult who's focused on God, involved in ministry, respected by our peers, strengthened in her faith and transformed by Christ. We pray your blessings on Courtney and Logan and her grandparents as they invest in Kerrigan's life. We pray for her big brother Jackson as he helps guide her through life and as he encourages her as a big brother. We pray your blessings upon him as well. Thank you, Lord, for the families that you've given our church and that you continue to give. Thank you for blessing these families with babies that we can celebrate. And we ask for the blessing to continue as we strive our very best to raise up a godly generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that everybody's gotten situated back in your pews, why don't you stand? 
Let's sing to God be the glory this morning. Sing with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. He has done great things, hasn't He? Let's sing to God be the glory. God be the glory, great things He has done, so loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the
come before you right now and we just confess our great need for you. Lord, we're tempted, we're bombarded by things every day. Lord, as we just sang, temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. God, we thank you that you're the same God that you were yesterday, that you are today, and that you will be tomorrow. You are God alone. There is no one greater, no one more powerful, no one more desirable than you alone. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone.
pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be in your house on this beautiful Mother's Day Sunday morning. We're thankful for your gifts, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We pray, Lord, that this offering will be utilized to further your kingdom and to bring glory to you. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
children first. Well, that statement is all through society today. Put children first from government to education to churches. I did a little search on the Internet this week. Google search children first. Six, uh, three million eight hundred and seventy thousand results. I said, hmm, that's a lot. Let me narrow it a little bit. Plus church, six hundred and six thousand results. Children first. It sounds good. I mean, who doesn't want their children to be important to the government, to the education system and to the church? I mean, no one. But I want to offer a correction this morning. Children shouldn't be first. And before all the children say, what? For a Christian, only one person can be first. And that is God. Someone might ask, well, pastor, isn't our whole children's emphasis we've been talking about kids first? Nope. We've never said kids first. It's first Kids, And there is a difference because, you see, we're not putting kids first. We're wanting to make sure everyone puts God first. The first comes first because first kids is not just about children. It's about first youth and it's about first adults as well. It's a characteristic of what we hope to see a first Baptist church of Pineville person to become. We're not putting kids first. We're wanting to develop first kids who grow into first adults. And so for the next several weeks, we'll be journeying through the the first tenets and exploring exactly what these mean. Now, we're beginning this part of the Synergy series on Mother's Day. We're ending it on Father's Day. So, yes, that means we're not having a definitely Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message this year. Hope that's okay with everybody. You've probably heard about the, the child who once asked his mom, you know, we have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day, we have Grandparents' Day, we have Veterans' Day, we have Valentine's Day, we even had Groundhog Day. When is Children's Day? And the mother said, every day is Children's Day. Well, we're just going to practice that for like the next month as we talk about what it means to be a first kid between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Now, as I preach about what it means to be a first kid, I'm also preaching about what it means to be a first adult. So while I'm talking to all of us, I'm talking to moms and dads. I'm talking to aunts and uncles. I'm talking to the choir members. I'm talking to the Sunday school teachers. I'm talking to the preacher. I'm talking to anybody who has anything to do with any kid in this church. Because our goal is to see these first adults become First kids, And over the last several months, uh, we've started to see the, the first tenants throughout the church. You've probably noticed them in your Sunday school departments. There's a big banner in the children's area. And, and just this week, as we opened up the renovated youth area, the tenants are there on the graphics there as you go into the youth room. And it says first youth. So you remember what it means to be a disciple of Christ as a member of First Baptist Church Pineville. And I want to take a minute this morning to recall and remember how we got here. When I first met in 2008 with our Sunday school leadership of the church, we were talking about different things that might come up. And I said, hey, what if we could develop some kind of plan 
where we were, if a kid was born in our church and they left our church at 18 to go to college or whatever, what if we could develop some kind of plan that would direct them towards a certain goal at 18? Well, that just kind of laid there for a while. But then two years later, in May of 2010, we called all the parents of the church together, which wasn't that many really at that time. But we called those together and we met during a Sunday school hour and we brainstormed. What would we want our children to be like at 18 years old? And we listed out all kinds of things. And we had just two loose leaf pages full of all these different ideas. We took those two papers in staff meeting and we started looking at like comments and things that went together. And Thomas suggested we do something that was memorable, that maybe it could be around first, since we're First Baptist Church. And so we started to say, okay, what could those statements be? And what came out of what those parents had said? And so we came up with the... F-I-R-S-T, the focused on God, involved in ministry, respected by peers, strengthened in faith, and transformed by Christ. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to be journeying one by one through each of these first tenets to explore what they mean. And this morning, we're starting with F, focused on God. I love digital cameras. I'm so glad those came out. I especially like that now we always have a digital camera with us, right? I mean, anywhere you are, you need to take pictures. Oh, I forgot my camera. Nuh-uh. Got it. Toom. You only have to worry about that there's enough space left on it. I find myself deleting photos to be able to take photos. But you take those, and it, it's, it's so convenient. But I am frustrated by one thing on digital cameras. Every digital camera I've ever had has had trouble sometimes on focusing on what I wanted to take a picture of. And now, I usually can see the can see the problem, but sometimes I can't see the problem until I take the picture, download it to my computer, and see it on a bigger screen, and I go, oh. What I wanted to emphasize is fuzzy, and what I don't want to emphasize is clear as a bell. That happened last week. I took a picture of David McGraw. David, raise your hand back there on the back row. David last week was all decked out in his Aggie pride. And I have a friend in Texas that's an obnoxious Aggie, so I wanted to take a picture of one Aggie and send it to another one. And so David gave the gigum, and I snapped his picture on my phone and stuck it in my pocket and went on. Then when I got ready to email the picture, I realized that the arm of the chair is focused. And the plaque behind David is focused, but David is a bit fuzzy. I decided that was appropriate for an Aggie anyway, so I went ahead and sent the picture... But I later started thinking, isn't that how we live our lives a lot of times? The thing, the person that should be in focus is there in our life, but he's out of focus. While something that's far less important gets all the focus. And isn't that how we live our lives sometimes? God should be clear and in focus. But instead, he's just there, kind of fuzzy, and something else like an armchair, the chair of an arm, uh, the arm of a chair, is in focus. Y'all think I'm mixing up words this morning. Just wait till the next baby comes. (laughs) But that's how we live our lives so often. And and when taking a picture with an iPhone, though, the, the camera tries to help you. It tries to give you this little face finder box, and it's pretty intelligent, but... I just was in a hurry and I took the picture and and probably didn't even see that the face finder was saying, here it is. No, that that's not a face, but I missed it. 
But sometimes, usually, that face finder can help you know that, that you're not quite looking at what you want to look at. And when we try to focus in our lives spiritually, we need help. We need a face finder. And that face finder is God's Word. God's Word helps us to get a clear image of God in the midst of a distracting and hectic world. But unlike the iPhone's face finder that sometimes may not be perfect, if you follow God's Word, the face finder will always be perfect. Scripture teaches us that focusing on God is much like focusing on anything else. The difference in focusing on God is it requires total attention of our entire person. Everything about us focuses on God, not just the lens of the camera. Consider these passages of Scripture. They're fairly familiar to you, so I won't take time today to to look up. I know you want to beat Calvary to the restaurants. Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Now, this scripture would say, if you want to focus on God like a runner in a race, fix your gaze on him. He is your goal. He's your prize. He's your everything. Don't look to the right. Don't to the left. Don't look behind you. Don't look below. Don't look up. Look straight ahead to the prize. Fix your gaze ahead. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you want to focus on God, set your mind on God. Set your mind on heavenly things. Allow God to rule in your life just as he rules in heaven. And then Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if you want to focus on God, fill your mind with godly things. And that will keep you focused. Whatever goes in will come out. Your mind will think about what you give it to think about. And so Scripture reminds us that focusing on God involves the total attention Of the entire person. Our gaze is fixed. Our mind is set. We think about godly things. We desire godly things. That's what it means to be focused on God. But perhaps we should ask this morning, what does that look like? What does it look like when we focus on God? I mean, I understand the the fixing your gaze like a runner. I understand thinking about that God. I, I get that. But what does it look like when it's fleshed out in real life? Well, three years ago when our parents were listing out goals for their children, they gave some pretty good ideas of what it means to be focused on God. A person who's focused on God will develop a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. That's what the parents said. Without Jesus, You can never be a first kid who could become a first youth, who would become a first adult. You can't do it because it starts with Jesus. Everything starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not talking about just making sure you have your fire insurance. Does everybody know what I mean when I say fire insurance? That's when somebody says, if you died today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And you say, yes, I'd go to heaven because when I was seven years old, I asked Jesus into my heart and I was baptized and I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I have my fire insurance. 
But let me tell you this. That's not what a personal relationship's all about. A vital personal relationship is far more than getting your fire insurance to keep you out of hell. We've made a mistake over the last several decades in equating a one-time experience with an eternity-long relationship. The, re- the, the relationship starts when we accept Christ in baptism and then it continues to grow throughout all of eternity. And those of us who are believers who want to be focused on God need to develop a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just what He did in your life when you were seven. It's what He did in your life at seven this morning. It's what He did right then and right now and what He'll do in and through you this week. It's that vital relationship that comes. To live with Jesus on the moment of your salvation... Back in the past would be like to live with your spouse on the moment of your marriage in the past. Now, here's how that would go. Look, honey, I married you 20 years ago. It was a great day. Man, we celebrated. We had good food. Don't bother me today. I got things to do. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. When I need you, I'll call you. When I have something good to celebrate, we'll get together. When I need a shoulder to cry on, we'll get together. Don't give me some guilt trip about how we don't spend enough time together. Don't tell me how I don't serve you enough. We're fine. We're married. When we die, our funeral plot, our cemetery plots are together. We're good. We got married. We'll be together in death. That's good. Isn't that how we often treat Jesus? We got together, Jesus, but don't bother me today. I'll call you when I need you. But I'm secure. I'm by you in death. I'm there with you forever. Try living your marriage like that and let me know how that works out for you. I do marriage counseling as well. (laughs) A person who's focused on God will have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. But also... A person who is focused on God will be biblically literate and biblically sound in his or her beliefs. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, Paul reminds us that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But Scripture can't be useful to you if you don't know it. And so you have to know Scripture. We need to be biblically literate and biblically sound. The Psalms do a great job of capturing what it looks like for a person to walk with God and to know God's Word. Consider Psalm 1 that starts the whole Psalter off. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man, listen to the imagery, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. A person who is focused on God and his word is like a well-planted tree. On Thursday evening, I journeyed with Mike Kennedy to survey some of our great mission churches and uh, Louisiana Baptist Mission Churches down in South Louisiana, and we saw several uh, in that area. And we ended the evening at Lakefront Community Church in Catahoula, Louisiana, where I was able to, to preach to about 18 or so people in that little mission church. 
But on the way, the church planner was leading us from church to church to church. And he said, look, I'm going to stop up ahead at this place. You've got to see this cool tree. And so we're on the road. We pulled off. We walked down to the banks of Bayou Tesh, and we saw this old majestic oak. Really, the picture doesn't do it justice because those roots that you see going down were taller than I am. It was caved out underneath, but it had obviously been caved out for years. And those big roots were the size of of trees themselves. And I, I commented that, man, it took a long time for this to happen. But I also thought, how many times had the bayou flooded and that tree stayed strong? How many hurricanes had come and pushed and turned and twisted on that tree, but it stayed strong? How many things had come against that tree in all those hundred years or more that it's been alive, but it stayed strong because those roots were planted deep? And it became a picture to me of what we should be as believers. When we're biblically literate, we're biblically sound, we can stand our ground no matter what comes our way. In the coming decades, I am afraid that biblical literacy and soundness will be increasingly necessary. Because already in our day, people are taking God's Word, they're twisting it for what they want, they're taking parts that fit their agenda, pulling them out of context, they're denying other parts, they're using parts to to contradict other parts, they're tearing the Bible apart. And many believers don't even know they're doing it, they just say, oh, he quoted Scripture. When actually it was quoted wrongly. We need to be biblically literate and biblically sound. We must be planted in the Word of God. It it struck me that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, it's the longest chapter of the Bible, and it's all about living and knowing God's Word. Isn't it interesting that God spent the most amount of time in His Word telling us how to know and live His Word and the importance of it? We need to be well rooted. The person who's focused on God will know God's Word. He will live God's Word, and they will be strongly planted. But not only that, a person who focuses on God will understand the power of prayer, be able to pray, and will want to pray. In the book Think Orange, Reggie Joyner says that every child needs certain things. And the first thing that he says every child needs is a really big God who's big enough to handle whatever comes their way. It reminded me of a story some friends in Texas told. The the lady said she was at her kitchen counter, I believe it goes, and, and she was looking out the window and her daughter was swinging in the backyard and uh, she noticed as she's doing dishes or whatever she was doing that the, the girl stopped swinging and was sitting entirely still on the swing. And she could tell the little girl's mouth was moving. And so she thought, what's going on there? So she stepped outside and immediately she saw what the girl had stopped for. There was a, a big dog that, that she didn't know that was in the yard. And so she slowly got closer and closer to her daughter to, to help her. And she could finally hear what her daughter was saying. Jesus will protect me. Jesus will protect me. Jesus will protect me. Jesus will protect me. You see, that little girl had a really big God who she believed was big enough to help her no matter what came her way. She knew that there was power in prayer. She knew that it was important to pray, and so she did. And in our fast-paced day, prayer may seem unproductive. We have things to do. We have places to go. We, we think we don't have time to sit and pray. We're too busy to pray, we say. Or is it as Bill Hybels said, we're too busy not to pray. Martin Luther 
The famed reformer said that he had so much work to do that he couldn't do it unless he spent three hours a day in prayer. Just a couple of weeks ago, we hosted some representatives from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And in part of that presentation, they were telling us about uh, the need to have a quiet time and spending time with the Lord each day. And uh, the presenter was telling us about Billy Graham's quiet time. And uh, Someone had asked Billy Graham one time, what do you do for your quiet time? And so Billy Graham told him, well, I, I take time to, to read God's Word. And I think he reads a proverb a day and a psalm a day. And he reads Old and New Testament. And he prays and he does all these things. And finally, the, the interviewer said, well, Dr. Graham, what do you do when you miss a day? And Dr. Graham said, I never have. To which... I leaned over to the person sitting beside me and said, that's why he's Billy Graham and we're not. You see, Billy Graham is focused on God. He understands the power of prayer. He knows how to pray and he is faithful to pray. But focus on God doesn't stop there. There is one more important part. A person who is focused on God will have a life-changing grasp of worship as communication with God, and participate actively in worship. You see, worship is communion with God, but for many people, worship is more entertainment than anything else. I mean, that's why people argue over worship styles. That's why people um, come and sit and leave and, and nothing changes. That's why people change churches like they change channels, whatever's the newest show in town. It's because we don't truly worship. For many people, worship is more entertainment than anything, but true worship is communion with God. Too often we come into worship and we sit down and we have the same attitude we have as when we go to a theater. Impress me. Move me. Change me. But I'm here. Hit me with your best shot. I've had that. I've gone to churches before and thought, whatever, just do your thing. Try to impress me. It's not how it's supposed to be. But it's somewhat natural for us because it's the problem we've had with worship, most of the history of worship. I mean, you can go all the way back to Old Testament worship and God says, I've had enough of your sacrifices. I've had enough of your rituals. What I want is you. You know, and as I read that, I think, but God, but God gave them the rituals. God gave them the sacrifices. Yeah, but he gave them to connect them with him. And they got buried and bogged down in all the stuff of worship that they missed the subject of worship. And I wonder if God would tell us today, you're focusing on a lot of stuff and I'm fuzzy. I don't care what you wear. I don't care how polished your message is, Pastor. I don't care how well orchestrated the music is. I don't care how slick the video. I don't care how hot or cold the building, for crying out loud. What I want is you. And I want a relationship with you. Focus on me. Enjoy me. Be changed by me. Walk away having met with me. Because you see, worship is communion with God. And a person who is focused on God knows that. While the elements of worship and the surroundings of worship, the music, the preaching, the the building, even, even our dress, our prayers, our scripture reading, all of that can point us to God. It can help us focus on God. It can prompt our worship. It can help us express our worship. But it can also distract us in our worship. So what is happening between you and God individually and what is happening between you, us, and God corporately is what real worship is. Not all this other stuff. Think about it this way. 
Many members have their children with them today. Most of us are going to leave here. We're either going somewhere to eat or we're going to go home and eat. Think about when you went to lunch today to celebrate Mother's Day and honor Mother. If Mom's there and all you did was focus on everything around Mom. You go to the restaurant and you say, Man, look at this silverware. This is wonderful. I'm so glad they have this kind of silverware because at that other restaurant, they have plastic silverware. And true meals are served on real silverware. Oh, look at this meal. This is so wonderful. This is what a Mother's Day meal should be like. This is so good. Oh, the waitress. Oh, look at these surroundings. These are so good. I just love it. This is wonderful. This is such a good meal. I I have enjoyed myself today. See you, Mom. Walk away. Now, what's Mom going to feel like? We may not want to know what Mom feels like. But that's what we do to God so many times in our worship. Even afterthought in the midst of a whole lot of other stuff. But a person who's focused on God will have life-changing grasp of worship as communication with God and participate actively in worship. Several weeks ago, one of our college students and I were trying to set up some appointments and we had our phones out and he looked over at my phone and said, Man, you have something on every day. I said, Yeah, I do. Most of our calendars are like that, aren't they? I mean, just full. Chock-a-block. We're distracted by a lot of different stuff these days. Most of it's pretty good stuff. Most of it's necessary stuff. But no matter how busy we are and how many good things come our way, our focus can't just be on anything or on everything. Our focus must be on God. You see... To try to focus on other things makes God fuzzy. And to have a fuzzy God leads to a fuzzy life. Do you really want a fuzzy life? Or do you want a focused life? Even more, do you want your children to have a fuzzy life? Or do you want them to have a focused life? Do you want your grandchildren to have a fuzzy life? Or do you want them to have a focused life? Would you rather them spend their lives focusing on God, the true subject, or on the arm of a chair in comparison? Do you want a fuzzy life? Or do you want a focused life? Let's be people who are focused on God. May we pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge to live focused on you. We walk forth from this day wanting to serve you with all of our hearts. Clear out the clutter. Help us to analyze priorities so you can take the rightful place. Help us to use your word as the face finder to find your face and to look for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we